be with you all. Um, you know, I was being here today uh, reminded me of uh, in the early days when I was recently ordained in one of my early preaching times, uh, I happened to get up into the pulpit at my church with what I thought was my, my notebook that had my preaching notes in it. Uh, and as I got in front of everybody to this moment and, and I opened it up, I saw that there was uh, the profit and loss statement for the church. And uh, panic set in and the Holy Spirit really moved, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I bring you uh, greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at, from Church of Our Savior in Jacksonville Beach. Um, we are, uh, I am so thankful to be here. It's a joy to be with you. You know, I grew up on this side of the river in Jacksonville, so it's especially a joy to, uh, to be over here and to be with you. Um, when we were in the early days of, of planting Church of Our Savior, uh, Grace Anglican played such a, a wonderful role uh, in, in my life as a, as a young planter. Uh, John Schuler was a tremendous help to me. Uh, John, who was the, the pastor at the time, was, was an encouragement, and he kind of took me under his wing, would help mentor me along the process. Uh, and at that time, Mike was here as an assistant, and Mike was always generous with his time and resources to help out a, a young church. And I'm so thankful for, for Grace that Grace continues to be a bright beacon of generosity for the sake of the gospel uh, here in our Anglican diocese, uh, but, but also I know the good work you're doing all over the world, and so uh, I give thanks and praise for that. I'm honored to, to be here in your pulpit, and I pray especially for Mike over at Church of Our Savior because uh, those beach folks can be a bit unruly. So uh, keep, keep, him, uh, keep him in your prayers. You know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for good lists uh, of trivia, uh, especially the ones, you know, the clickbait that pop up on, uh, on the different social media sites that you're on. And, and one such list that I saw recently was, uh, I think it was titled, This Famous Last Words in History. And uh, I couldn't resist it, you know, what people said on, and, but their dying breasts is just too interesting. I wanted to know it. Uh, so I had to click on that bait. Uh, so while being a little bit morbid of a topic, I want to share with you some of the ones that I thought were uh, the most interesting uh, that I read. If you've ever studied John Adams or Thomas Jefferson, uh, you probably know that they uh, became good friends and they both died on the same day, July 4th, eighteen. Uh, 26. Uh, they were good friends and obviously founding fathers together and been through an awful lot in helping to gain freedom for our country. Well, Jefferson died in his home in Monticello in Virginia and Adams in Braintree, Massachusetts. Adams' last words were allegedly, because some of these things might have been embellished over time, uh, Thomas Jefferson still lives. That was his, uh, those were his dying words. Uh, while Jefferson's last words were, it is the fourth, obviously uh, remembering that day and all that they had worked for for independence. On a bit of a lighter note, uh, the four Former comedian, if you can remember him, uh, Groucho Marx's last words were, this is no way to live. <laughs> you know, those of us who lived through September 11th, 2001, will never forget the last words of that brave American hero, Todd Beamer on Flight 93, uh, as he said those last words that were heard from him, let's roll. 
But you know, perhaps one of the, the most well-known famous last words, if it ever really did happen, but at least it sounded good on the silver screen, came from William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. Uh, those who have seen it, I know, remember it well. Uh, as he was suffering and dying, he was being tortured, and they were all urging him to uh, just to beg for mercy, and it would all be over. Uh, and in that moment, instead of begging for mercy, he cried out and declared one word, freedom, freedom. It's a great word, isn't it? Uh, freedom, we love it. We fought for it and continue to fight for it. We celebrate it, the freedoms that, all the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And so this morning, I'm happy to, to continue the sermon series that you all have been studying this summer, looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And this morning, we take up the primary subject of Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 15. And that subject is, as I'm sure you all have guessed and uh, you know from your memory verse, freedom. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. You know, one thing I teach at uh, Church of Our Savior is that if a word is repeated uh, in any particular passage of Scripture, you need to pay attention. It's important. If it's repeated three times, well, you had better seriously take note because most likely your life depends on it. Well, if it appears four times, well... I think you get the picture. It's essential, right? Uh, and that's exactly what we have at work here in Galatians chapter 5. Four times Paul uses this word freedom. Two times in verses 1, uh, in verse 1, two times in verse 13. And in between the two is just sandwiched uh, by Paul. He's further elaborating and extolling the importance of freedom in Christ in our lives. You know, the great reformer Martin Luther, he said in a little book that he had written called On Christian Liberty, that one thing and one thing only is necessary for the Christian life, righteousness and freedom. Now, when we first hear that, most of us say righteousness and freedom. That's not one thing. That's two things. Uh, but the truth is that the two things are so closely related. See, righteousness and freedom are intimately related to one another. Our freedom is dependent upon where our righteousness comes from. The point of all this is that freedom is absolutely essential to the Christian life. In fact, Jesus said this in John 8, verse 36, If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Those are wonderful words. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. See, before I think we can even understand fully what Paul's getting at in Galatians chapter 5, we have to understand what Jesus means when he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What Jesus is saying is that he is the one who sets people free. When you put your faith in him as Lord and Savior, then you are in fact free. And the freedom that a Christian enjoys... And Jesus has, is, happens in two primary categories of life. One, freedom from the bondage of sin. And secondly, it's a freedom from the bondage of death. 
You know, the scriptures make it very clear that the wages of sin is death. And furthermore, we're told uh, that there is no one who is without sin. In fact, Paul declares that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the consequences of that is that we are separated from God in our own sin and rebellion. In our separated state, we are therefore slaves to sin and death. St. Augustine uh, called it non passe, non pecare, which means not able not to sin. It's a double negative, I know, but it works. <laughs> it means that we no longer, on this side of the fall, we no longer have the ability not to sin, which means because of sin, we are absolutely slaves to sin and death. We're unable to free ourselves from them. Martin Luther called it the bondage of the will. But Jesus, when he died upon the cross and took the punishment that we deserve for our sins, in that act, our sins were paid for once and for all. So that by faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And it is a free gift from God. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. And so we are made free from the bondage of sin and death by the work of Jesus on the cross for us and by nothing else. On the cross, our sins are forgiven. And in his re resurrection, death has been conquered forever. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And as Billy Graham's grandson so rightly explained it, that he gave this equation, which I think is helpful. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what real freedom, true freedom is all about. But we have this tendency uh, to either take the freedom that we have been given in Christ and to somehow turn it back into a yoke of slavery or to take the freedom that we've been given in Christ and to abuse it as a license to sin for our own selfish desires. And that's exactly what is happening to the churches in Galatia. See, Paul has gotten word uh, that they have been listening to a false gospel, a gospel other than what we just talked about, that we have been justified by faith in Christ alone, that his grace is sufficient for us. There's been another gospel that's been proclaimed to them, that someone who's gone behind Paul's back and told them a different message. Some people have been proclaiming this message that uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything is a lie. They proclaimed that to truly be saved from sin and death, a person must go beyond the simple faith in Jesus and do more to earn it. In this case, they demanded that the Galatians must be circumcised. In other words, they must submit themselves fully to doing the Old Testament law of God, to truly be a Christian. See, circumcision just being the sign, the outward and visible sign of the covenant, the old covenant that God made with his servant Moses. Well, if you paid any attention at all to Galatians chapter 5, then you know that Paul is not happy about this false gospel that is being proclaimed. He's even less happy with the people who are doing it. 
He doesn't mince his words, does he, when it comes to them. He wishes that they would emasculate themselves. That's a sermon for another day. What does all of this mean for us this morning? What does Paul want us to take from Galatians 5 when it comes to the freedom that we have in Christ? Well, first of all, I believe he wants us to enjoy and live fully into the freedom that we have in Christ. And secondly, he wants us to use that freedom for good and not for our own selfish gain. And I believe there's three points that Paul makes about the importance of our freedom in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. Uh, First of all, he wants us to know that freedom in Christ is a command, it's not a suggestion. Secondly, he wants us to know that freedom in Christ is totally and completely dependent upon the grace of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And number three, when we, are to- when we are truly free in Christ, it is then and only then that we are free to truly love one another and to use that freedom for the good. Let's take a look at each of these points for just a, a few minutes this morning. The first one, again, being freedom in Christ is not a suggestion, it is a command. It's not just a good idea that, hey, you'll be much happier if you just live by it. That's not at all what Paul's saying here. It is a command. You must live your life in this way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You know that part of it. (laughs) You've memorized that part, or you're going to. But how about the second part? Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, Paul declares. Stand firm and do not submit again. These are incredibly strong words that Paul has for us. Now, I, uh, if I'm willing to be honest with you, I am a a rebel at heart. Uh, I don't like commands. I don't like being told what to do. Uh, Just ask my wife. Um, I I just don't like it. But I'll tell you what, even uh, this is a command that I can live with. Stand firm in your freedom. Do not give it up for anything, Paul demands. That sounds pretty life-giving to me. You know, Paul elaborates a little bit more on what it means uh, to not stand in uh, this freedom, what it means to give it up to a yoke of slavery. He explains it in another way in Romans 6, verse 16. He said, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? In this case, what Paul is telling the Galatians is that they submit and obey these rules of the old covenant law, particular in this case circumcision, for the sake of their salvation, then they are giving up their freedom and they are becoming slaves again to the law. The only problem with that is that not only uh, will they need to keep the circumcision laws, but if they're going to live by them and they're going to depend upon them, they are going to have to follow all of them perfectly. Now, if anyone's willing to be honest, none of us can get even beyond the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods but me. We can't get those words off of our lips before we all fail before Almighty God. Because we all make idols out of people and things, looking to them for life, trusting them 
with our own well-being. You know, Joy Davidman, the wife of of C.S. Lewis, wrote a commentary on the Ten Commandments called Smoke in the Mountains. And she began this book by recounting the story of an African chieftain who, upon hearing that Christianity was about keeping all the rules or the commandments of the Bible, uh, he had heard this from a visiting missionary. He replied, I haven't been able to do these things since my youth. That must mean that being old and being Christian are the same thing. You know, the truth is we cannot find freedom from sin and death anywhere else other than in Christ himself and what he has accomplished on the cross on our behalf. We must either stand firm in that freedom or become slaves to the rules that none of us can ever hope to keep perfectly. You know, the second point that that Paul is teaching us about freedom in Christ is that our freedom in Christ is totally dependent upon the grace of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I know that the topic of grace is uh, not something that is foreign to this uh, church uh, since its very beginnings. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to one of the sermons in this series by Mike McDonald that said this, and he said this about grace, the way God, the way God wins us is the way God keeps us. You never graduate from grace. It saves us and it sanctifies us. You know, I said earlier that freedom, the freedom we have from sin and death, it's a gift from God. It's not by our own works. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we uh, have done all the right things, and therefore God should and must give us this good gift of grace. In fact, our freedom in Christ, it's dependent upon grace. There's no other source of salvation Because we are bound to sin, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot follow all the rules to get ourselves to God. Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, our freedom is completely dependent on the the work that Christ has done on the cross and reconciling us to God, and it's dependent on nothing else. And yet, we are so tempted to try to add to it. We're so tempted to think that, you know, grace was sufficient for us once, but now that we've been saved, we've got to do something to earn it. We've got to be worthy of God. And what ends up happening is we become discouraged. We see God as a cruel taskmaster who's never quite happy enough with us who never can quite accept us because we're not just, we're never quite good enough. See, when we fall into that trap, we forfeit our freedom that we have in Christ and we become slaves. You know, the final point that Paul makes about freedom in Christ is this. When we are in Christ, it is then that we are truly free to love one another. You know, there's perhaps nothing more confusing in this culture than our whole idea and understanding of love. 
We tend to define love as an emotion that, that we feel. And so when we tend to say that we've fallen in love, usually what we mean by that is that we like the way that someone else makes us feel about ourselves. And as soon as we stop feeling that way, either by the person not doing what they were doing to make us feel good about ourselves, uh, or for whatever reason, we then quickly fall out of love. The reason for this is because we are slaves to sin. We are bound to our own selfish view of the world. And another way of thinking of it is this, that because of our sin, there's a crack in our love buckets. The more that gets poured in, the more that just runs out the bottom. But that crack is only there because our love buckets were meant to be filled by a greater love than we could ever hope for or ever imagine. Only we keep trying to fill it with counterfeit kinds of love. See, we were created by the God of love himself to be in a loving relationship with him. But because of our sin and rebellion, we are separated from him. The bucket is cracked. And all that love we get from other people and other things cannot possibly fill that bucket that was meant to be filled by God alone. But in Christ, God has filled that bucket once and for all. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into this world to save us. And so when our need for love is fully satisfied in Jesus, it is then and only then that we are truly free. We are free to give that love to others selflessly, not, no longer selfishly, no longer worrying about filling our own buckets in the process and using other people for our own purposes. And in doing so, as Paul wrote in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to use the freedom that we have in Christ for the good of others. And we live in a world that is desperate for this kind of selfless, sacrificial love because it's a world that is so used to the selfish kind, the kind that's for our own good and our own purposes. Friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this freedom that we have in Christ is of the utmost importance in our walk with him. It is of such importance that we're commanded to stand firm in that freedom. And out of that freedom comes the ability to love one another and to bear witness to a world, the sacrificial and unconditional love of God in Christ. But let us never forget where this freedom comes from. It is the fruit of the free gift of God's grace for us in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, my prayer for all of us and for Church of Our Savior this week as Mike proclaims this word to them has been 2 Corinthians 3:17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let us pray. Jesus, I do ask that your spirit would pour out upon us this morning. 
For your word declares that where your spirit is, there freedom comes. Come, Holy Spirit, direct us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you give us the confidence to come before his throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need? That our hearts may fully embrace the freedom that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That there is nothing we can do to add to our salvation. That everything that we have, our standing before God, is by the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so today... With the help of the Holy Spirit, we stand firm in that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.